Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, you're listening to the Two Sharp Reds, thanks to Optus Sport. And once we've decorked and decanted, myself, Ollie Geel, and of course Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, will launch into a bottle of sharp red wine. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we do aim to share our love of the Burgundy Grape while dissecting all that the Premier League has to offer. Mark, welcome to the first episode of the Two Sharp Reds. I'm sure you loved that intro. Yeah, mate, listen, I'm not happy. Already, we, we've just started, and you call me third best son. Well, what is that? But who's above you? Hugh Jackman and Bert Newton. Listen, you're digging a bigger hole, mate. <laughs> I tell you what, unbelievable. I can't believe it. You I, love I'm it. I'm devastated. <laughs> right, well, have a glass of your, have a sip of your, your red, and I'll get you through. Cheers. Now, I've briefly outlined it in the introduction there, but the two sharp reds. Um, as I, I mentioned, over the course of, of every episode, we will be trying a red wine and talk, talking not only about football, which is our, our main love, but our second main love, which is red wine. So I suppose just to give everyone a little bit of context as to, to why we're doing this. Why, why are we doing this, Mark? Well, some would say it's just a reason to get together, open sure. up a bottle of red wine and talk about football and just blabber on. And, yeah. and partly that is the case, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, well, listen, it all started back in, in June in France, in Paris, actually. Oh, Women's World love. Cup. Yeah, and uh, what a place to start and to continue love for yeah. red wine. Um, it was a case of working long days with Optus Sport, covering the Women's World Cup, coming back to the hotel and going, right, what are we going to do now? Let's get something to eat hmm. and let's sit down and have a nice bottle of red wine and just talk about what happened during the day what's coming up, and also watching the games as they unfolded that night if we weren't at a game. Well, that's the thing. It was quite a busy period for, for us all as well. So we're, we're on trains and we're trying to watch sport. Then we're, we're getting off and we're, we're, as you said, going to a restaurant. And, and, and it became a symbol of, or it represented the, the Women's World Cup for us almost. You know, as soon as the bottle of red came out, we, we poured it and then we just wouldn't stop talking. So I guess that's what's sort of... Um, it, it, this is the birth of, of the two sharp reds. So I will add as well, by the end of the episode, uh, ideally we would like to try and compare the bottle of wine that we've just had to a past or present player. So this, of course, Mark, can be used with uh, emotions, smells, um, anything that um, you might think of. It. You might get flavours at the, the, the back of your tongue, the, the front of your tongue, and, and anything you might be able to compare to a player. That's the, definitely the plan. And uh, I think as we go on, we will obviously explore different types of wine, yeah. different flavors, and I'm sure we'll get through a lot of players. And it's going to be interesting to see 
the contrasting in players that we both choose. And obviously that comes down to individual taste, doesn't it? Well, that's it. And I don't, I don't want to you know, get this off to a bad start like I already have, but you're a little bit older than me, so you've got a little bit more matured taste buds, you would say. That's two digs at me, mate, already, and we've just started. Yep, that's okay, though. It's okay. okay. But it's, would you not agree? You've got more matured taste buds, so I reckon that we'll experience this same wine in completely different ways. Well, that's without a doubt. I, I got no doubt about that at all. Firstly, that I am older than you, and secondly, that we will definitely taste it differently. I mean, let's listen. It just starts with looks and attire, first and foremost. I mean, <laughs> we're very, very different in terms of, you know, what you like to wear casually and yeah. um, cowboy boots, hat. Yeah, it's the very, it's very, the casual um, the casual countryman. I like yes, to call yeah, my definitely look. casual yeah. countryman. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking. Yeah, what that's, are you? So that's definitely true. I mean, I just like to go with I think safe. Sure. You just really don't want to make a statement. No. Whatever you do. I'm just going to keep it as safe. Or flower. <laughs> like it. Uh, now, you, yourself as a wine drinker, many people know you uh, as a footballer and, of course, the, the work you do with, with Optus Sport. But you, why wine? Is it, is it just red wine? Is it, is it all types of wine? Or is it, you know, what, what is it in particular that draws you to the Burgundy grape? Uh, well, I'm actually, yeah, I'm a red wine, definitely. I'm a red, red wine fan, lover. Um, what drew me to it? I think it was a case of, first and foremost, as an ex-professional athlete, it was the, the fewer calories. Yep. The carbohydrates, obviously, if you compare it with beer, it's very minimal. Um, obviously, higher in sugar. However, it was just something that I would rather drink to enjoy rather than drink volumes of it. And uh, it was about the different tastes, the different different feelings that you have in your mouth. Um, and it was a, a great way, a point of conversation. So you, you were able to sit down, have a couple of glasses of wine, and the conversation flows more. Mm. And firstly, it's about your different feelings because of the wine, but also I think it was the relaxed environment that, that, that wine puts me into. Obviously, I mean, I've grown up, I've spent 18 years in Australia, I'm only very new um, to England, so I've been lucky enough to, to grow up with Australian wines around me, but of course you left at the time, uh, how old were you when you went to Germany? I was 21 years old. 21, so, so you would say that's almost the time that you would start exploring with, with you know, really exploring what your taste buds like and want but going to germany i can't imagine there would be a gigantic wine culture or... uh, white wine yeah so riesling is massive um and then i move i was in dresden to begin with so in in uh Sachsen, which is in the east part of germany and i moved to the west side in rheinland pfalz which is a very big wine. say that area. again sorry rheinland pfalz you've made that up but yep, no continue. i haven't and it's and it's uh it's a real wine area so it's uh, a lot a lot of white wine riesling not that I was a fan of it, but often we drive through the, the, the countryside and there'll be people selling their own wine on the side of the street. Yeah. So um, Germany's very well known for it. Um, but in terms of actual red wine, no, not, not so. Um, but there, there, are, there are new world wines uh, you know, evolving, and Austria is one of them as well. So I, do, don't, I don't mind a Pinot Noir that comes out of Austria as well. So. Now, one thing that, that I have picked up on since we've been uh, getting to know each other is you, you're quite loyal to the country that we might be in so I'm still very loyal to Australia so no matter where I am if there's a Barossa Valley a McLaren Vale or a Margaret River I, I tend to just naturally gravitate towards one of those wines have you got a favorite sort of continent at least or or country or or does it literally just depend on if you're in spain you have a spanish wine yeah it, it, it wine. is actually so if i go to spain i love drinking spanish wine and I, what i actually love doing i love going to a supermarket and buying not the cheapest red wine but 
a very, very affordable red wine, as I do in, in, in uh, France, like we did in, during the Women's World Cup. Yeah. We found ourselves going to supermarkets and buying the most, almost the, the most reasonably priced bottle of wine and saying, okay, let's see how cheap a bottle of wine we can get that is actually a very good quality wine. And you'd be amazed at how little you can pay. Cheers. You've just gone straight in there. No, I don't no, know. No, I, I, I was going for a sniff. I you, sniffed. Did you? Mm. Yeah, but not with your tongue in there. No. Right? <laughs> oh, early thoughts. Oh, it's in your face. Yeah, that... that's that's really, really in your face. Really strong. Okay. Incredibly strong. And in fact, it actually originated from Germany in the 15th century. Did it? So maybe, maybe mm. this is. This is you. Yeah. This no, is the no, shorts of wine, is not it? me. No, no, no. Because that is in your face. I'm not in your face. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose one of the major topics I believe in the Premier League so far this season is what is going on with Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, it's a season where we would have liked to have seen them go one better from what they tried to almost achieve in the Champions League, push up that table just a little bit more, but they're slipping. They are. Um, the inconsistency that they've shown so far this season has been quite remarkable. When you look at last season, you look at the progression they've had under Maurizio Pochettino. It's been, you know, it's been wonderful to see, and you know the the accolades have been coming thick and fast. Yeah. And everyone just seems very happy and content. Fast forward to this season, and it just seems like a different a different place. But why? Because for mine, you, you look at the team, and it's. Not really changed. No, I, I suppose you'd say. I think there's a couple of key, key, key issues here. Firstly, it's you've got three players, key players, who are coming out of contract in uh, Christian Eriksen, Jan Vertonghen, and um, Toby Alderweireld. Yep. And I mean, I know that Toby, Toby Alderweireld has been going on for a while now, and they've re, you know they, they obviously extended his contract for another year last season. Um, they had a buyout clause; no one took up on it. But I think add to that Vertonghen. Add that Ericsson to it. Ericsson in the summer saying he wants to leave. Um, saying it in a press conference with the Danish national team is never a good thing. No. Players do it all the time. You go away in the national team, you think... Well, you don't even think. They know what they're doing. There's no doubt about it at all. But they go, right, okay, I'm going to say it. There's going to be a whirlwind. There's going to be a storm. And by the time I get back, it would have passed over a little bit. But I was at the game the other night, and Ericsson you could clearly see a lot of fans are still not happy or are not happy with him. And I don't think that will change. And he looks a different player as well. And I think it has affected him. Him, Firstly, he has to stay. Secondly, he's running out of contract um, and he's not playing regularly. Uh, Pochettino is clearly not happy with him. Well, the fans aren't happy with Pochettino, it seems, at the moment. So that's that's another thing that we've been wanting to dissect as to what, what's happening there. Because you talked about Ericsson rumoured to be leaving. We think probably at some stage, certainly at some stage in the near future, whether it's a, a sacking or going on of his own accord. But Pochettino, I can't see him being there at the end of the season, where two years ago you would never have said that, much. Well, that was, that was my second point, really, is that Pochettino, his stance, his demeanour, his attitude, his, his uh, message that he's continuously bringing out to the public has changed dramatically in the last sort of 12 months or so. And I think it's got to the point now where... Before, there were still results. You're still progressing. You're getting to the Champions League final, and people just kind of brushed it to one side a little bit when all, all said, you know, wow, that was an interesting comment from Pochettino. Wouldn't have expected him to say that. However, you know what? He's had so much success. It's a bit of a power struggle. Now, you've got bad results off the back of it. And he's coming out and making comments, like when uh, uh, Sissoko re-signed his contract, saying that, well... The club offered him a contract. He signed it. You know, that's his thing. That's their thing. I've had nothing to do with it. 
I found really, really strange. I'd be really disappointed if I was the player and the manager right. came out and said that about me publicly. Yeah. He may have spoken to him. I, I think he would have spoken to him behind closed doors, but still publicly, yeah. that comes across, I think, quite poor. Has he lost the faith, do you think, of the, the North Londoners, like the public? Oh, I, I get a sense that they have, and that's... Being, it feels like for me, for, looking from the outside in, it looks like unfamiliar territory, where that's where the alarm bells are going off because recent, of recent times at least. Yeah, no, I still think the, the fans are, are behind him. I, I think they're 100% behind him, um, but they're concerned with the results. They're concerned with key players coming out of contract. Deli Alley, Dyer, way, way off the pace, yeah. way below par. Um, and that's that's also very very concerning because it's the first time since he's been involved that he's got players like that have really dropped off in form. You know, generally what you see with a lot of Spurs players is they've progressed to another level under Maurizio mm. Pochettino, and and I don't know whether that's a case of you know what he's got to the point where he's realised maybe I can't go any further with this team. Maybe at this club because there's not a lot of funds available. There's only one or two players I can bring in every year. I cannot get up to that next level. I cannot take that next step against to be able to compete against your Manchester But do you teams. not feel that there are only one or two players away from reaching that next level anyway? That's the argument that Tottenham fans would be making, right? Well, now. if you held on to the three players that are currently out of contract, add two or three really top-class players, then maybe. But the problem is, come the summer, or even January, they're going to have to be looking at replacing those three players, mm. potentially as well as adding another two or three. So we're talking five, six top, top quality to players to rebuild then. Yeah. And I know I was there the other night and, and someone was saying to me and one of, one of the members of staff said to me, um, you know, they are a bit stale. They feel like they need to make some changes. There's players that have been there for too long. There needs to be a, a, a bit of a, a clear out and fresh faces and new faces brought in to try and rejuvenate this side. Mauricio Pochettino, will he be Spurs manager by the end of the season? No, I don't think he will be. I, I think all the signs are there, he's, he, and he's the one that's driving it to a large degree. I don't think Spurs, Daniel Levy, I don't think they will sack him necessarily, unless there's a really, really horrendous, unless there's a really breakdown, a massive breakdown. He knows, I think, he knows that there are other clubs that are interested in Mauricio Pochettino. And if he lets him go, he's going to walk out and go straight into another club. He keeps hold of him. He knows that eventually what's going to happen. Someone's going to come knocking and go, right, we want to speak to your manager. And he'll say, great, ka you can speak to him. Let's talk about Deli Ali. I mean, Deli Ali is an interesting one. He's in, the, he's in the press now. He's got problems with fatigue. He's feeling lethargic. He's getting a lot of injuries, uh, reoccurrence of, of hamstring injuries. And he thinks he's pinpointing it down to diet. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, listen, everyone's known that diet's a big part of everyone's life, whether you want to lose weight, whether you want to stay fit, um, and energy levels. You know, you, you eat a big bowl of pasta. How amazing does it taste? Yeah. But then within 10, 15 minutes of, of eating that bowl of pasta, you want to go into a food coma. You want to actually, you're mm. almost falling asleep. So, and, 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 it, and, and, we, and when you don't eat it very regularly... When you do eat it, it actually gets exaggerated mm. because your body's not used to it. So I, I went um, towards the last sort of seven years of my career, actually. Um, I decided in, um, in 2010, well, actually, it was actually very late 2009, I decided that I was going to change my diet completely. And so what was it uh, I, at that time? I eradicated all, uh, all carbohydrates, so uh -huh. all pasta, rice, uh, everything like that, bread, out of my diet completely. No, no beer, no nothing, even though I didn't drink a lot of beer, but every now and then, 
and I basically just ate protein and carbohydrates. And I got my, sorry, protein and vegetables. And I got my carbohydrates through my vegetables. So all your green veg and all that sort of stuff, they have their own carbohydrates. So, and uh, I, it took about four or five weeks to yep. my body to adjust. And I went through really difficult periods because, you know, mentally and, and, and also energy levels. And I was still playing and I was, it was in the midst of playing the season. So I would go through massive energy lows. I'd go out and warm up for a game, come back in and I'd be flat as, and I'd, I'd have a bag of nuts in my, in my bag. And I'd just grab it out and I would mm. be scoffing. I'd be throwing it Was well, that because essentially your body hasn't got used to the change hasn't at got that used time? To the change. It's craving some sort of sugar, some sort of energy uh, hit. And I would, I'd stopped, I stopped drinking all of those, uh, you know, the sugary drinks. I was mm. just drinking water. So I was, I was looking to, to get it through vegetables and meat and everything else, all my energy and all the stuff that I needed. I, I, I did take supplements. There were yeah. definitely supplements I took as well. So to try and make up for, for, for shortfalls. And uh, after that four or five week period, I felt an amazing change in, in, in how I felt generally. My energy levels went through the roof. I wasn't feeling as anywhere near as, as lethargic as I had previously. I stopped drinking milk. That was a big mm. thing. I used to drink lattes all the time. I love coffee. My coffee is one of my, one of my biggest uh, uh, sort of like um, hindrances, not hindrances, but my flaws or, or, or negative parts of my, yeah. I, I, would, I just love drinking coffee. And uh, it's my vice. That's what I was looking for. And thanks for that help, by the way. Yeah, no, I just wanted to see you sweat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I went from white coffee all the time to straight black coffee. And again, that was another big change. It took ages. And now I can't drink a white coffee. Mm. And the flavors you get are so much more pronounced. Um, so yeah, so that changed everything. Body fat dropped, became leaner, became stronger. I felt good. And it definitely helped me prolong my career. So if you're Deli Alley, still quite a young man, um, at what point or, or how drastic do you need to go? Because from, a, from an outsider's perspective, because again, the great thing about um, the way we talk about these sort of things is we've got to, two completely different situations where in my mind, as, as clearly not a professional footballer or athlete or professional fit person whatsoever, um, you go, okay, well, you know, a healthy ham salad sandwich, you know, how really, realistically, is the bread really going to bog you down that much? But at what point does he have to go, yeah, I can't do that, or I have to go full vegetarian? Like, how drastic well, well, does he need to go? Well, the way that the, the, the technology is these days, you can do various tests. So you can see if you have tolerance levels or varying tolerance levels against various food groups. I've done that as well. So I know the various food items that I shouldn't really eat because I have... I have a, an intolerance to it, um, and there's varying degrees of it. So, so some of it can be just very minor. Some of it can be the changes can be very minor, but they the, the little ones along the way can all add up. And if you're in a, a professional athlete where you're working, you know, six six days a week, seven days a week, and, I, and when I say working, I, I include not training but diet and then recovery and so forth in all of that because you you eat, sleep, and live it every day. Um, there's always exceptions to the rules, um, but that's why they don't have a, long, a longevity in the game. Sure. Um, and someone like Deli Ali, who's looking at it and going, okay, the last 18 months to possibly even two seasons, his form's dropped dramatically. Yep. And he finds himself out of the team now. And he, 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 he's, he's really looking for answers. He's, ha he's been injured continuously. He's got a mental um, sort of a block or, or a feeling mentally fatigued, feeling physically fatigued partially because his forms drop so much he can't find answers and he continues to get injured 
Then there's the diet aspect. So you have these checks and you find out, okay, I have intolerances against various food groups. If I cut them out, that's going to all contribute to me feeling better, mm-hmm. which will then be an uplift in my mental health, be up in my, in my positive uh, outlook on various situations. And then maybe it'll help me keep, keep me on the football pitch longer so I can try and get some continuity. I can try and get regain that form again. And I'm surprised actually in a way that it's taken him so long to actually come to this point. And, uh, Sorry, but you can't... You, I, I almost refuse to believe you can just put uh, bad form down to the fact that you're having too much carbohydrates. Sure, surely no, it's almost no, an no, excuse. No, not, not just that one sp- specific thing. It's a combination of things. So... He's got a combination of issues. He's been injured a lot, which coincides with bad form. And he stro- his recovery time is quite long. So you've got to look at various things. I mean, I, I, just an example, I broke my back, right? I broke, a, I broke my, my T9 in my back, so the, the vertebrae. Mm-hmm. I shattered the top 10%, which, which is, it's, it's, it's fine. You can walk, you can do all that sort of stuff. But once you compromise your vertebrae, they shatter. They don't just break like a like a bone in your arm or your leg. They yeah. shatter. And once you shatter that, there's you don't walk anymore. Mm. So there's a, there's a there's an element of very seriousness to it. Um, so long as you do the right thing, it's fine. And and after two weeks of complete rest, no lifting, nothing, no 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 exerting myself, walking very very carefully downstairs, all that sort of stuff for the first two weeks. Then the recovery period, you, you, you increase it and you're doing exercises, various exercises, swimming and so forth and carry on. But part of that is your diet yeah. because it gives you energy, you have a positive outlook on things. I was training four times a day then. The minute I started training again, I was back to two ta- times a day, three times a day. Then I, I got up to four times a day. I went from breaking my, my bone in my back to back playing in 10 weeks from start to finish. And and part of that, there's a whole combination of things. It's mental toughness, it's desire, it's determination, it's it's fitness, it's it's diet, it's all of that all in one. If you don't have that, if something's missing, it has, an, has a knock-on effect to the other thing, and that is how how fine-tuning you can go. And someone like Deli Ali, he's at a point where he has to break it down to the littlest elements because he gets one thing right, he turns one thing around it could potentially unlock the rest and help the others fall into a line. Have you ever sort of thought about going down the vegetarian or vegan route? Because, say, for example, like a Hector Bellerin's been quite open with his um, uh, transition into being uh, not just vegetarian but vegan, and he's obviously... Chris coming, Smalling's another one at Manchester Smalling, Yeah, exactly. Or is that Roma now? Um, and, and hearing someone like a Hector Bellerin talk about the fact that, obviously, he's just had a... Um, well, coming back from a, a pretty horrendous knee injury, but he felt like his recovery was... It felt better. It felt easier. Do you see being vegan as an option for, for professional players? I, I think it's a, it's definitely an option. Why not? Um, and it's you've got to be mentally really strong because the change is very significant at the beginning. And that's the biggest challenge over the course of however many weeks. So like I said before, for me, it was like a four or five week period of my body adapting from not eating carbohydrates restricting the amount of gluten I ate, very little gluten, um, you know, uh, dairy. I ate very little dairy. So I cut so much out of my diet. And I went from one day to the next. Mm. So I went extreme. Some people would phase in and phase stuff out as they go along. But I went, no, nah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all in one go. And I'm just going to get it over with and do it. And I maintained it for seven years. 
And the only reason I stopped was once I stopped playing football and I thought, well, there's no point. I don't need to be extreme anymore. Mm. And uh, let's just try and... Let, let, let's try and be moderate with the way I, I live my life and that's why I'm still trying to find balance sure. in my life post-football is, is that a genuine I mean uh, clearly it must be a genuine maybe not concern's not the right word but you would be thinking about that when you when you leave a professional career in being fit it's, challenge. it's a challenge it yeah. really is because you are so accustomed to training most days and the levels at which you're training at are huge I mean I the last 18 months, I traveled four and a half hours round trip every day to, to Leicester from here. And I... For- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Various reasons. Begin, at the beginning, I, I, I rented an apartment in Leicester, actually for the entire period I was there. And I stayed out there for the first probably two months quite, quite frequently, probably three days a week. Then, then uh, I had a big falling out with Nigel Pearson, the manager at the time, and my head completely went. And I went, you know what? I'm not going to spend any more time up here than I need to. I'm not playing. The manager's lied to me. I've come up here, and I'm not going to stay here as long as I as, as, any any minute longer than I have to. So I was traveling. So basically, for about 13, 14 months, I was traveling back and forth every day, uh, or most days. The only time I'd stay up is if the day before a game if the game was at a three o'clock kickoff the next day, if it was an eight o'clock kickoff the next night, I would still go home and travel up the day of the game. And you, you're we're living in London. At I'm this living point, in yep. London, yeah. So well, if you live centrally in London, to get to Leicester is an hour and five minutes on the train, but I live a little bit on the outskirts. So it's going into London, going out again, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So it was tough. So at the end of my career, I was actually mentally fatigued. Um, I wasn't physically fatigued. It was all mental. And I was leaving here. I was getting up at 6 o'clock every... Well, actually, I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning, catching a 6 a.m. train. And I was home again by 3.30 in the afternoon. But it was nonstop the whole yeah. way. Bang, hit the ground running. Train, gym, train again. On the, straight off the pitch, showered, on the train, back home. And <clears throat> it was a challenge. So at the end of it, I was mentally shot. So for 12 months, I did no exercise whatsoever. I just shut off. And my wife kept trying to encourage me, come on, let's go for a run, let's do yeah. this. And I'm like, no. Nah. No, I just could not. And then once or twice I went for a run and then it hurts. Yeah. You know, when you don't train, it hurts. And I, and I, was, I was losing a battle in my head. My, my head was going, why are you hurting yourself? You don't need to. You don't get paid to run anymore. You don't get paid to be fit anymore. Mm. You don't need to do this. Just enjoy your life. And then I got to a point where I actually put on about 10, 12 kilograms. And I went, well, you're fat. Yeah. That's my own personal thing. You know, I was... So I'm uh, assuming this was pre-op to sport before we could see you on the screen? Uh, <laughs> no, it was during that period. I was... I was Because I went straight from finishing playing football to, to then mm. doing TV work. And I started to realize, seeing yourself on TV, seeing how you looked, suits not fitting me anymore. I actually, funny enough, I went back to Australia and I went and I did a, an appearance with Optus Sport during the Confeds Cup semi-final oh, so the final third and fourth playoff in the final and I saw myself I, oh, I had to dig out a suit that I'd worn years before and I saw myself on TV and I went wow mm. 
that suit is going in the bin and I've got to lose weight. I've got to sort myself out. And that was the turning moment. So that yeah. was 12 months after I'd finished playing. So your diet during this time was... No, I just went, I ate whatever. Literally anything. I ate whatever, drank whatever. I drank lots of beer. I, I didn't drink lots of beer. I drank beer. Yeah. I ate whatever I wanted to eat. I binged on chocolate, biscuits. I did all the stuff that I wasn't doing for seven years. So I went the other extreme. And now I still am trying to find balance, but I'm nowhere near as extreme. I'm enjoying this. I've got to say, I'm a real sucker, Mark, for um, South Australian wines. I spent a a few years in Adelaide. Anything from the Barossa or McLaren Vale, I just tend to look at it and grab it. I don't need to know anything about it. Are you enjoying it? I am. Uh, Listen, it's not normally the type of wine I would go for because it's so in your face and so heavy. Um, And I've got someone in mind. Okay. And I I, I played with him for for a number of years, and he was literally in your face at times. Okay. Right. It's demanding. Okay, so we'll say no more. I'll let the bottle just continue yep. to decanter as you yep. sniff and smell your way through the, the list of uh, people that you've played with. That's an odd thing to say, sniffed and smelt your way through the people you've played with, but that's okay. Uh, another team uh, that sort of caught my eye, certainly going into the season, was Sheffield United. Um, how have you found their start to the season? I've been I've been pleasantly surprised. I, I thought they would really struggle. Um, you know, like any team that gets promoted straight from the off after having such a good season in the championship, and the, the ones that keep their core teams together, not like Fulham did last season, yep. they changed all their team first game of the season, um, that generally there's a bit of momentum. And, and they had momentum. You know, they started off with a really good result away from home opening game of the season. And, you know, they've been a bit topsy-turvy, and which you would expect from a team that's been promoted and haven't really invested a lot of money. Um, you know, they've got a manager in Chris Wilder who is a no-nonsense man. and Wilder by name, Wilder by nature sort of stuff. That's right. And, uh, no, listen, I, I was there at the game, Sheffield United against Crystal Palace. It's a great atmosphere. It's a nice stadium. The people up there are great, very welcoming. They're, you know, they're just delighted to be in the Premier League and they obviously desperately want to stay in it. They know it's going to be a huge battle. What do you make of Wilder? Because I've been actually fascinated in a way, not in a weird way, just a, a low-key fascination with Wilder. Well, yeah. I mean, with you, you just never know, do you? No, exactly. Exactly. I could be lying, could not be. But he strikes me as a, a really interesting character to work under. And again, it's... It's pretty funny, and this is something that we picked up very early on, again, in our informal friendship or whatever you like to call the relationship, is that I've obviously got a very different view on this sort of thing because all I can do is picture what it would be like to work under these sort of managers. But you've sort of been there and, and you're had a fan that relationship. as well, though, aren't you? So you're a fan. But I, in... I'm jaded. I, I see it from a, coming from a different perspective. So Wilder in particular, right? So he was saying um, uh, Dean Henderson made a mistake against Liverpool and he came out and said, if he wants to play for top teams, if he wants to play for England, then he needs to do better. He needs to concentrate more. Now, if that was a teacher, my father... Anyone in the workforce, that would just, that would devastate me if someone that I was supposed to be looking up to said that. As a player, do you, I mean, it's all subjective, I understand that, but do you respond well to that? How would you be feeling if you were Dean Henderson? I think it depends on what stage of your career you're at. So there's a 22-year-old Dean Henderson. And I'm just imagining and and having the experience that, that I've, you know, come across various players that sort of similar age, um through the times when I was playing and they were very, ever, very rarely ever told when they've done something wrong. They generally always were told how wonderful they are and how well they're doing. 
until they get in the first team environment. Right. So welcome to the welcome to the big boys. You know that's what happens generally. You know you you you, you tell it how it is. I mean you know uh, the, the, I think the best thing is when you look at. Uh, um, Jose Mourinho at Chelsea, particularly the second spell when I was there, at the end of it, he was telling people exactly what he thought. And he probably was too brutal. And that ultimately turned a lot of players against him. Whereas Chris Wilder now, he's gone right from the off. And I can imagine he's one of those people that just probably said to every, every one of his players the same thing. You know, someone makes a mistake. I can't imagine him going, that's no, fine, it's fine, it's okay, let's just move on. You've been wonderful. He's like, right, no. That doesn't happen again. It's part of his basically. charm, though, in a sense, don't you think? Yeah, it is. And you know what? It, there's a balance. You know, you've got to be careful not to be too top-heavy all the time. Um, and, you know, I, I, don't know, I don't know how he's been because, you, you know, you're on the outer. You're only, you're only here, see, and obviously that, that interview post-match. So back to the Dean Henderson thing, being that brutal to him is he knows his character. He's worked with him for over a year now. So he said it on the basis that he knows or he believes the kid can handle it. And I'm sure behind the scenes, he's, he's had more words with him. I'm sure he's spoken to him a little bit more in depth, not just to say, right, suck it up. Basically, you know, if you want to be a top-class goalkeeper, you don't make mistakes like that and, and get your head on. And, and he's dead right in what he's saying. Yeah. And it's kind of refreshing to hear him say it. But again, like I said, when you look at the team environment, knowing what it's like in that dressing room, you've got to also make sure you keep people on board. And someone like Dean Henderson is a key figure for Sheffield United to stay in the Premier League this season. How would you have coped with it, do you think? Put yourself 22, yeah, 20, 22, 22 years old. Oh, yeah, it's a hard one because, you, you, firstly, you know it's a monumental mistake. You've yep. cost your team three points or one point because they yep. could have held on to, to get that point. And it's, that one point is invaluable against mm. the likes of Liverpool. The confidence of the team would go through the roof. So you know it's a big t- kick in the teeth. Oh, finally, halftime drinks break. Uh, not that's no, quali- you know, a, a dig on the quality of the content, but halftime drinks break, I think, is what we're all here for, Mark. We so, are. And, and I think you poured me less wine. Yeah, I did. I'm sorry about that. You know how you get. So, to, to, I, I want to know a little bit more about yourself as a, a wine fan. Is there a particular reason why you, you, you like red so much, or other than it's just a fantastic drop? Is it, is it a good drop when you're an athlete? Yeah, compared to just a, a keg of beer? Yeah, I, I like it more so because I don't think the calories are anywhere near as bad as drinking beer. I'm a big beer fan as well, but I try not to drink it because there's too, much, too many carbs in it. Yep. Uh, obviously, wine has a lot of sugar, and, and it's... I, think, I just think it's the better of the, of, of the two bads, yeah. really, um, in terms of calories. and um, So I was always conscious playing... Uh, with my weight and body fat and all that sort of stuff. So wine yeah, but you're like, a goalkeeper, that's all right. Yeah, but that's even more important in a lot of ways, yeah. We work harder than the outfield players. <laughs> <laughs> when you were in, in Germany, though, there would have been a, a big beer culture. Yeah, it's a different culture in? as well, a different time as well. So, yeah, beer, beer was huge. And, well, mate, we, uh, we, used to, we used to go to a game, and on the way back after a game, we'd catch the bus home. And, yeah. But the first thing that was on the bus were, were crates of beer. Yeah. You know, put in the middle of the, the walkway in, in the bus, and basically there was a bit of food on, or we stopped at a service station and got food and, and drank beer on the way Not home. to detour too much away from the wine, but you once told me a story. Um, what was the food that you used to sometimes grab <laughs> on a team bus in Germany? It was some 
some sort of it was like, a, it cold was a, yeah, steak. Yeah, it was steak So it was the, the raw meat, the raw, raw minced meat. But from a service station. Yeah, in Germany, you get <laughs> it in a service station, obviously out of a fridge and everything else, and everyone would. You know, oh, that's it was just good of them. And the sandwiches, yeah, no, it was, it was great. Yeah. Fair I grew right. up, my dad used to make it at home. We used to go to the butchers every now and then and go, right, do you want some? I'm like, well, I'll give it a try. And I love it. It's raw eggs in there. There's raw mince meat onions and all different spices it's fantastic so um what we're doing as well is is every episode obviously trying to to compare the bottle of wine that we're trying in this circumstance it is the black craft shiraz from barossa valley 2017 and try and compare uh, that bottle of wine to a player e.g through uh emotions it brings up tastes that it might be invoking um can you give us a clue as to where you might be heading towards the end of the episode yeah you know what he like i said before um he was in your face uh demanding, um, uh, very full-on, and he played in Spain, Holland, and the UK for for most of his career. Um, Top, top top-class player, but... Okay. Tough to play with at times. I've got a few, I've got a few ideas up my sleeve, and all I'm going to say is current player, so it's it's a recent, you know, the recent years, and of course, 2017. Also, I'm getting a lot of the flavors up the out the back of my throat, so wow. towards the the back of my tongue. So yeah. it, it may be a player that likes to position themselves towards the back. All right, that was it for the halftime drinks. Um, we'll be back very shortly for the full time drinks, which will be very nice, uh, Mark. Um, one team in particular. I was hesitant to talk about because you absolutely launched and annihilate for me uh, being an Arsenal fan, and that, you know that's you're well within your right. But it is time that we talk about four one Europa League final. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know what? The way I said that it was as if I had a really great comeback. Yes, I had nothing. No, no, I literally I had nothing. So I'm just going to have a sip of my sharp white red. Probably the best thing to do, mate. But what what is happening in your team? Let's be honest. I want to ask you a question, right? Yep. Are Arsenal a better team? now under Unai Emery than when they were under Arsene Wenger? I think, and an incredibly difficult one to answer when you're not a part of the inner circle, but I say yes because there feels like there's hope there. I think that if you compare them quite literally, I don't think they've improved that much, but I think it feels different. So there's is there a direction. Hope, is there hope because Arsene Wenger is no longer there and he doesn't control everything? Because, but I wonder you, how much. Look, one thing that used to always annoy me with fans going, "Oh, Mr. Wenger, you don't, put, you know, you know, d- you know, put your hand in your wallet. Actually, buy a big player." I, I know that managers are different to coaches of different sports. You know, if you were to compare it to the AFL or, or, or in cricket, you know, the coach is responsible for coaching the players. And I understand that a manager, there's more to do. Yeah. Uh, arguably, they're also the face of of what happens in the off season, but. There's a lot of people involved in the backroom staff that are responsible for who comes in and out and how much money they spend. Now, yes, not before. So before, it's a bit like, it's that era. So it was the Alex Ferguson. Yeah, and how good was he doing, though? He ran that whole thing, and everything went through him. Yes, he had people doing the the groundwork. However, he dictated everything. Nothing happened unless he said it would happen. Arsene Wenger was the same at at, uh, at Arsenal. But when when that started to change, that's where Arsenal started to drop off. So you're saying that... Arson should have maintained full control and therefore they never would have dropped off. My, my argument is that the people had wanted the wrong people out of the club. I okay. think it was time for him to move on, but that's where I feel like a breath of fresh air um, 
in terms of looking at our performances, it looks the same yes. in a way. Like it, it doesn't look like Arsenal have improved that much. But it feels like the fact they've brought in Edu with, yeah, as the technical director, and there's, there has been some changes. The Cronky family have been a lot more forthcoming and, and quite honest that there will be big players. And they actually did really well in the, the transfer window. Pepe? It remains to be seen. 75 million? It remains to be seen. But the I mean, actual, Martin Keown has just the, come out and said they've been, they've been ripped off with him. But the intent was fantastic. The, so the, the intent of actually doing yeah, it the I mean, way that, they that, did that's, it. That's problem, see. That's the, that's the thing with fans. You think because someone goes and pays £75 million for a player, they go, that's the intent. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. We want to see millions and millions and millions of money put out there. And let's just hope the player's good. Oh, he's actually not as good as he should have been. Oh, geez. Actually, they've made a mistake there, haven't they? Uh, I, I resent that because what I liked was the intent of going, no, 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 we want that player. We don't actually have that amount of money. And the way that they were able to manoeuvre around it with, with um, you know, staggered payments over the next few you're seasons. You're still paying $75 million. Yes, you are. But the point is that if you look at Aston Villa, which we talked about, they just that's panic. And you that's, could have, you could have bought a Virgil van Dijk for $75 million yeah, well, that's back true. in the day. Well, that's true. I don't, so, I, I don't really saying, have a comeback. It's about picking the right player. You know, the right, I mean, you look at the young players that are coming through. I mean, mm. you, you, you look at them now and, and you go, wow, why do they go and spend that sort of money on Pepe when you've got young, talented players? I mean, Joe, Joe Willock, yep. really, really good player. He's done very well. Saka. Come on, come on, come on and play the other day. Play or played the other day, and yeah, and, and, and the big talk was actually why go and spend seventy five million on Pepe when you've got Saka there, and Pepe's probably going to hinder Saka's development because he's not going to get enough game time. Well, he is at the Pepe. moment, though. To be fair, well, yeah, he's at the moment, but how long will that go for? Yeah, because yeah. of the pressure. When you pay seventy five million pounds for a player and a club like Arsenal, who have had to go and find the money, mm. try and work out a way to try and sign the player. Kronk is going to go say, hang on a second, you pushed and wanted this player so badly, we've done this, 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 and that to get him, and now you're not even playing him? I still feel like across the board, it's more exciting, uh, considering they've also gone out and got the likes of Saliba, sent him back back to um, France on loan, and, and, and there feels like across the board, when you look at the signings and the subtle changes that we've seen on the pitch, that for, for myself as a fan, and, and and to be fair, as a journalist looking on the outside, it feels like there's a clear direction. However, if you were to compare this to Manchester United, I don't know what their direction is. I don't, that, no. I don't know what they stand for, what they want to be, they where they want know. to go. They don't know what direction they're, they're going in. They don't know what they stand for currently. They are still living in the past. Oli Gurusonso came in and said, we want to bring that same ethos back, that mentality back of when we're under Alex Ferguson. And you know what? So Alex Ferguson was incredible. What he did, it will probably never, ever be eclipsed. Move on. It's a different time. It's a different generation. You've got different types of players. You haven't got, you know, your Paul Scholes, Nicky Butts, you know, David Beckhams. You haven't got those players coming through the academy. You know, the Neville brothers. You haven't got that. But what, why is that? Because from, from what I've seen, it doesn't look like the academy's any different. Yeah, but oh, no, there's been the... lots and lots of changes with the academy. They, <laughs> they, they weren't run very well for, for quite a period of time, and it's been completely restructured again. And now you've, now you've got uh, Paul, uh, is it Paul Scholes, I think it is. No, yeah, Paul Scholes or Nicky Butt? Nicky Butt's running the academy right, right. now. So um, it is changing, and that's only just recently been appointed. So um, they, they're going to start bringing players. Well, you see already there's some younger players coming through and getting opportunities to play for Manchester United. Are they of the level of what they had in the past? Mm, you know, only time will tell. Uh, Lingard, Rashford, they've come through the academy. 
the, I mean, the jury's still out. A lot of people have this thing about Jesse Lingard. He's nowhere near as good as what they all make out to be. I still think he's a very good player. Mm. Um, Marcus Rashford. They need to develop. The problem they've got is they've stopped developing. They've stagnated. Mm. They haven't become better players. And that's partly because of the players around them and partly because of the amount of changes they've had as managers, the, the lack of direction. Yeah, well, what about a Tammy Abraham? You know, he, he's now arguably a more well-rounded striker than Marcus Rashford. So was that a fluke? Into... Was it a fluke that Chelsea are where they are right now? And the only reason they are where they are right now is because of their force in this position. Yeah. So is it a fluke? Are they... And I, I've spoken to lots of fans about this, and they're actually pretty much delighted about the transfer ban. Yeah. Because they've, they've had so many talented young players coming through the youth system for such a long period of time, but then they very rarely ever come into the first team because th- there's not enough room for them. A manager comes in and he's under pressure to win everything right now from the off. Is he going to give a Tammy Abraham an opportunity to play? And this is my example is that had they have been under the previous uh, criteria of, or, or standards of normal transfer, buy players, sell players, everything else, Tammy Abraham may have played the first two games of the season. What were the first two games of the season? They played away at Old Trafford. Mm. He did okay. He hit the post. They lost the game 4-0. Right? So he missed a couple of chances. So in terms of striker, probably not, not a great day. Super Cup, misses a penalty. Did okay in the game. Misses a penalty. In the old time, he, would never get another, he probably would not have got another game. But under Frank, he's back in. Look where he is now. And that's partially because you've got a manager like Frank who wants the youth to succeed. And the other side is because the club are in a position where they have to go youth. So that's almost the time we've, we've got for here on the first episode of the Two Sharp Reds. We've, we've covered some topics. We have. We've really, you know, there's been some controversial statements. There's been some, there's been some insults being thrown across the mainly, room. Mainly from you. Mainly from, mainly from me, yeah, believe it or not. I don't mean them. I, just, <laughs> I look at you and I panic. So I've got thick skin, man. I'm used to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But going back to what we're, we're here for, it's, it's the love of red wine. Yes. And it's the love of, of sharing that together um, and matching it, not with uh, a beautiful steak, but matching it with fine footballing conversation. Uh, this, this red wine that we're trying today was the Black Craft Shiraz from the Barossa Valley, arguably one of uh, the, the best wine region in Australia, you, you'd have to say. And coming towards the end of the episode, our aim was to compare this wine to a past or present player. Um, so... You've been alluding to, to someone. Is it time? Have you decided? Yeah, I have. I've decided. I mean, I decided when I actually, pretty much when the wine hit my lips, it was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I know who this is. And, and uh, he, he's a player that, um, I said, you know, he played in, uh, played in Holland, played in uh, Spain, uh, England, played a number of teams in England. Fantastic player. Uh, he was, he's retired, obviously, now for quite a number of years. And um, demanding player on the football pitch. He was just... Demanded from his teammates all the time. In your face, brutal at times as well. Even off the pitch could be brutal. Um, so yeah, um, played for, played for played for Chelsea, Leeds United, Middlesbrough, Atletico Madrid, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Really? Yeah, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So and would, uh, it, would he agree with that? Do you big, think? Big, feisty, big, heavy wine. This one, and that's Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. All right. I, I think he'd agree with it. Uh, yeah, he likes. He doesn't mind a red wine as well. And I, and I think, he'd be comfortable with that. Yeah, my description. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that. I mean, it's it's kind of a compliment, really, in a way, backhanded compliment. Let's put it. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Well, well, I've 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 actually been really struggling with this. It, it turns out it's not as easy as it sounds to compare a bottle of red to a footballer. Um, but I, I, you've done a fantastic job, and I'm going for this bottle. Doesn't look out of place on the shelf, but it's probably not found on the right shelf. Um, for me, it's. Not so bad when you see it and when you taste it, but t- towards the end when you're swallowing it at the back of your throat, right at the back there, that's where it just all goes wrong for me. Yeah. Squadron Mustafi. <laughs> that's a shock. That's a shock he's an Arsenal player. That's, oh, yeah, well, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's, it's, um, you see it, I think, great. Barossa Valley, German, you know, yeah. you think that yeah. he's from good ilk. Yeah. He's, um, he's, you know, this bottle of red doesn't, necessarily look out of place on the shelf but it's on the wrong shelf right, and okay. I, I don't think that he's in the right place he's not yeah. good enough and and again when you see him walk out there you think this this won't be this won't be bad i'll i'll quite enjoy this and then when it, the ball goes into the back there that's where it all goes terribly terribly wrong and on that note boom <laughs> mark thank you very much for the first episode of the two sharp reds um we'll be back very shortly i, I, I hope I hope so. I hope. Good fun. I enjoyed it. And, and it's a nice bottle of red wine, really. Beautiful bottle of red. Beautiful bottle of red. We're, not, we're, you know, we're being critical, but in, in a playful way. Absolutely. Let's open another one. Exactly. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 